Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast, proudly sponsored by Subway. Get your mid-match feast delivered fresh, Subway eat fresh. I'm Jared Barker, as always we've got Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly from Champion Data uh, with Matt Walsh away for another week. Plenty on the agenda for you today at this stage of the season, we're never really short of talking points, Jake. We had upsets we had thrillers we have tribunal controversy again unreal marks unreal goals the case of the kangas the rise of the pies and we look forward to a potential grand final preview on thursday night as well and we've got grand final entertainment locked in you're a robbie williams fan oh i'm pretty neutral on robbie williams Uh, he's all right i think I think people will get around him. It's good to have you back in the host chair for second week in a row. Thank you. No, it's good to be. It's warm in here, but we'll, it get, is we'll warm get through it. What's your favourite Robbie Williams song, Christian? Oh, didn't know you were me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what it's called. That rock DJ song goes all right. Okay. I was asking you because I probably don't know. Can you, give, can you give us a few bars? No. <laughs> I definitely can't. Uh, as I said, plenty on uh, before we get to it all, though. Something you notice from round 16, Christian? Yeah, well, just noticing this sort of blew my mind. This could be, I don't know, this might just interest me and nobody else, but the quarter time and three quarter time breaks, are you aware how long they go for? Okay, we haven't spoken about this before beforehand, but are they longer than they used to be? What were no, they, only they on one particular time slot. Okay, off, off the I, top of my head, it should have been what, like It's five, six minutes, minutes right? Six minutes. But is, it was seven minutes in one game? No. Six, oh. I've just realised that this is, this is, it's... It's sent out with the AFL's uh, run sheet each week, but I feel like this is something that has never been advertised. I never even knew. I'm pretty sure we uh, we do the countdown clocks of the breaks and all of our countdown clocks are at the yeah. same time. Six minutes for a quarter time, three quarter time break. Saturday night games have a six and a half minute quarter time and three quarter time break. And that's been standard across the year. That just blew my mind. I mean, it's only an extra 30 seconds, which obviously across two breaks adds up to an extra minute. But I just feel like no one's ever been told that for some reason, both Saturday night games, whether they're on free-to-air or on Foxtel, for some reason have an extra 30 seconds at quarter time and three-quarter time. And I've just, just learnt that in the last two days. And it's just blown my mind because I feel like no one no one knows this and I don't know why the reason is for it. The other thing I noticed just on that point was with the time after a goal's kicked, which was, it went it felt like it went from a minute to like 45, 50 seconds. Cause, and the reason I noticed, because when I'm watching a game on replay on KO, I'll, once a goal's kicked, I'll skip ahead two presses, which is 230 second, 230 seconds for a minute. And it almost always would go straight back to the center bounce. But at the start of the year, it would be 10 seconds into the next bit of play. Mm. But it's gone back to the same, it's gone back to what it was. I feel like we're going back to a full minute in between goals now. And I know they, they did do that in the 2020 season just to help pad out, you know, Channel 7 had bought a three-hour broadcast, but the games were all shortened, so they did give them an yeah. extra extra time after goals. I feel like they left that in in 2021, which led to longer games. And 2022, as you've shown, I, I think they've changed it up yeah. a few weeks of exactly how long we do wait after a goal. That yeah. might be one of the... Your nomination there might be one of the best something well, something that was noticed of all yeah, no, time. No, no offence <laughs> to Jared at all. Incredible host. But I feel like this is something Matt can really investigate and run with because, you know, he's, he's yellow footies and red footies type yeah. theory. And that I want him to sort of chase down. Why do we need the extra 30 seconds at quarter time and three-quarter time only on Saturday nights? That's yeah, a very, some, very good one. Commercial obligations probably in there, Jake. Yeah. Um, something I know. Well, there was a few things, but one thing uh, which certainly caught my eye on the Saturday, the Sunday, the final game, the Sunday twilight game between Freo and Port. Second week in a row, we've had a cracker in that time slot. Um, we had two genuine mark of the year candidates and two genuine goal of the year candidates in that game. Sarong and Dixon both kicked ridiculous goals, and Hayden Young and Mitch Georgiades took. Um, hangers. I think Georgiati's probably a little better, but yep. I, I would not be surprised if the goal and mark of the year came from that game. Has that ever happened before? Are they your leaders right now, Georgiati's uh, and Georgiati's? And I don't know. I can't split Sarong and Dixon. I like Dixon's a bit better. The 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 right foot check side. I don't know. There's something about it that I just love. The instinctiveness of it. So we looked inboard and then sort of went back to yeah. the boundary line with one step, just bananaed it. Instinctively, fair fifteen seconds for Dixon. He then kicked anyone out of the square in the next mm. bounce. But I love the fade Sarong got on that kick right on half time. I think it was half time. Was, was he the winner time. last year? 
Yeah, he, the, he kicked yeah. that ridiculous goal last year. So I don't know if it did it win, but he was potentially. I can't yeah. remember. Um, don't know if it's ever. But my point is, I don't know if it's ever happened before where uh, we've seen Marker and Goldie in the same game. So not sure, but um, certainly wouldn't be surprised if if that eventuated. Not at all. A couple of crackers. Um, for me, shout out to local footy player. I think he was a player coach, Adam Thompson. Uh, who bagged a lazy 33 goals in a country league game on the weekend. Was he, he playing North? For, he play, <laughs> we'll get to North soon, but no, he wasn't. He, he was playing for Goal Goal, I think that's how you pronounce it, against Meringer. I might have gotten that wrong. I'm not a country boy, so forgive me. 33 but, goals? Yeah, the final score read 58-28, 376 to 4125. This fella's bagged 33 goals from 43 scoring shots. His team's won by 351 points. I think that's just insane. Putting up some insane numbers in the country. Like I, I did like hear him talk about it. I think he, I think he was quoted as saying the full forward had done his hammy the previous week, so their usual full forward was out. So he was just a fill-in full forward for the week. So. <laughs> uh, what, where does that? Where would that sort of rank in terms of greatest games? How many rating points or ranking points would you get for? A yeah, well, I was sort like of that? saying to Jared earlier the the rating points is a funny one. It'd be, it'd be high. It'd be over thirty, but the rating points is very dependent on how many of those goals were from uncontested marks versus contested marks because a lot of you know. Your goals, if you're assisted, some of your points for that goal can go to your assist player and things like that. But yeah, basically by ranking points, you could almost guarantee it would have been almost like a 400-point game. And mm. you sort of talk about 200 being astronomically high in AFL, it would have been, yeah, world One record. game and he'd be top 10 in the Coleman. 800 if he's your captain too. <laughs> uh, moving on, guys, to the uh, top of the agenda, we've got Eric Hipwood. So uh, he's got a tribunal hearing. The MRO didn't grade his incident, so... The incident was, if you haven't seen it, he's pushed, but he's running alongside Ryan Garter, essentially, uh, who is playing on him. They're streaming inside forward 50. There's an umpire inside them, uh, potentially in his line of sight. That's probably up for interpretation right now. But Hipwood's shoved Gardner into the umpire. The umpire's fallen over, and Hipwood's uh, in that same play, found himself 20 metres free inside forward 50 and got a mark and a free shot at goal. So the MRO, instead of grading the incident using the the usual classifiable table of offences. He sent it straight to the tribunal. Uh, are we surprised by that? Do we expect anything to come from it? Should Hipwood be worried, Jake? Well, to answer the first part of the question, are we surprised it went straight to the tribunal? A little, because if it's if it's graded as, it, as all incidents are or should be graded, mm. as we have come to expect, then I think he gets a fine. Now, I can understand people saying he's got to be suspended. If it's graded the way that it normally is. So, the, yeah. the conduct being careless or intentional. Yeah, uh, so I would argue it's not intentional. I would argue that it was not in, he did not intentionally push Gardner into the umpire. That was just the consequence of what so happened. If so, if it was graded, yeah. you're saying it would have been graded as a fine because the impact wasn't great. Yeah. No high contact. Yeah. So the fact that it's been sent to the tribunal... It's the same sort of situation as uh, Nat Fife last week with with his umpire. Is contact. it the same, though? Well, it's not the same, but it's the same. it should be a similar result. I, I, don't, I didn't think that one should have been a suspension, and I don't think this one should be either. See, I'm on, I'm on the fence here. I'm not, I'm not here or there. I think that it's pretty hard to tell if Hipwood did this on purpose. It's almost impossible to tell whether mm. it was intentional or not, unless you're inside his head. He's the only one that knows. But I think what, what is irks people more is that he his, he pushed his opponent basically forget that he pushed him into the umpire he pushed his opponent went to the ground and then mm. he um he took an uncontested mark and kicked the goal had this happened on the wing and there was nothing had come from it i don't think people would be as bothered by it but it just didn't look as look great because his opponent was pushed into the umpire and they're both on the ground as he's standing there taking an uncontested but mark christian does, does do players have a responsibility to protect the umpires when they are there on the field i think so i think and again i'm it's hard to talk about this incident in isolation in terms of Hipwood should have had more care of the umpire. But I listened to some of the you know the the commentary, the expert commentators and things talking about this particular incident from the weekend and sort of saying, well, forwards do that 100 times a game. You're going to push your opponent to get off him and create some space. And this one's just happened to push him into the umpire. Well, I take it a step back and go, well, it's illegal. You're not allowed to push a player. So I don't care if they've been pushing him hundred times a game and they usually get away with it. Mm. If you've pushed a player, you've done an illegal act. So I feel like if you do an illegal act that then has a chain reaction and leads to someone else getting injured, you've got to pay the penalty for that. You shouldn't be allowed to just push players 80, 70 metres off the ball 
Um, but because even but if, you said it yourself, like it, we know it happens. That happens constantly throughout a game. Doesn't matter. It was but an intentional push. Was it an intentional push? It's, it's into the same the one as if you it's you can push a player in the back and it's a free kick. If you push him so hard that he goes flying in the fence, you'll get a fine for pushing someone into the fence. This is almost the same thing. You push someone over, it's a free kick, yeah. but you've actually pushed him into an official who we're not allowed to touch. You sort of have to cop your right whack. So yes, it was all accidental, but doing an illegal act that has led to almost injuring an umpire, yeah. I think it's and again I probably not comfortable with a week but i think it and again i think it needs to be a 3000 a higher that, a higher standard fine, not, not a 1500 I, like they always yeah, hand out it's not it's not just so he put a put his hand on his you know brushed his sort of shoulder or something like that i agree i think look if he did get a one week suspension i wouldn't be i wouldn't be throwing my arms up in there saying it's a disgrace i can understand why he's getting that but i i tend to think if if i think the 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 right punishment as christian said would be a 3 or 5000 dollar fine um because we really haven't seen anything like this. That's this the is, thing; it's unique. It's it's very unique, and and I think that's why it was sent straight to the tribunal because it's like, well, we don't really have anything to base it off. We don't have a precedent for this, really, and mm. certainly in the last, you know, five years. So, um, yeah, I'm probably leaning towards a, a a hefty fine, but who knows? I mean, the the tribunal's been a bit of a, a lottery. I mean, this time last week we were we were standing in the exact same spot talking about Tom Stewart. And we mm. were saying it could be anything from two to two to five, two to six weeks. So. You're right, it could be anything. And the fact that it was sent to the tribunal, though, it could be political statement. Guys, the umpires are sacrosanct. You cannot touch them. Whether yeah. you, you push a player into them, where you make contact with them yourself, you cannot touch an umpire. Is It It could just be a statement and he is let off. Yeah. I'd probably uh, be upset with that because he needs at least a fine, in my opinion. Yeah, it, I, I know I always bring everything back to the Brownlow medal. But if this was Lockie Neal or Clayton Oliver, is he getting suspended? I don't think that and, really matters, and, does it? Well, if, of course it matters because we've seen this throughout history. We've seen this throughout history where players that are either in line for for a, uh, in in contention for a Brownlow medal. So if or, it's if it's a ball up, a, a stoppage in the center of the ground, and Clayton Oliver shoves out his direct opponent into the umpire, him into the over. umpire. Yeah, I'm not. It could be the exact same situation. I'm just saying, are we more likely to make a statement with Eric Hipwood than we are with Clayton Oliver? Do we want? Clayton Oliver to miss out on a Brownlow medal because of that incident. I think in the end, rules are rules, though. They are, but we've again we've seen it. We've seen the rules be. We've seen we've seen the AFL be flexible on on those rules and when they've actually punished players at, at certain times. You know, it's we've, it's happened. It's happened. I would say five of the last six or seven Brownlow medal winners have had some incident where it's a 50-50 about should they have been suspended for that, and we always look back on it. Is there a way of actually telling whether he did it on purpose? Whether he saw the opportunity Light that the two test? players were about to collide, yeah. expose it, and then there, get it for There's a two angles I've seen of it. There's one, the the sort of normal view we get from the broadcast of the, the whole ground, which looks... Uh, which looks worse than the one behind the goals. I think the the view behind the goals, he's kind of looking to where the ball is, not really, can't really see where the umpire is. And then when Gardner starts, he changes direction trying towards him. He does go to push him. Now, you, as Christian says, like if you like the bump, once you make that, you're responsible for what happens after that. So I can understand that. But I still would argue he was, it was not his intention to knock I think it was Jacob Mollison over. So, mm. uh, yeah. We'll Tough wait, one. Wait and see. But moving on, uh, North Melbourne. Obviously a very big talking point at the moment. And they have been for quite a number of weeks now. They look like even they've had enough this season. So, 11 games in a row, they've lost by 47 points or more. It was 112 points on the weekend. Average losing margin of 63.4 points since their win in round two. Where to from here, guys? Lucky they played West Coast in round two. They are. They are. It's grim. It's grim, and there's no other way to put it. But where to from here? Well, I mean, I know Christian's got some really dire numbers that he'll get to, but yeah, I mean, I'd. I think a couple of weeks ago we raised the we raised the question of priority picks, and I think we were saying, well, if you actually go back twenty four months, thirty six months, they meet the criteria. They weren't that bad. They priority pick in my my opinion should be going to a club that's been horrific for five years, like bottom two, not winning games and getting flogged every week. They weren't three or four years ago. They were, I think they won ten games or something, ten games and twelve games in like eighteen and nineteen or seventeen and eighteen or something like that. They haven't been horrific for that long, but.
But this year, they've gone backwards. Last year, they were the worst team in the league. This year, they're, I, I believe they're scoring 11 points fewer per game and conceding an extra 13 points a game or something like that. So that's a net four-goal difference every game. So it's just not working. I, I, I don't see... There's, I can count on two fingers the amount of players on the list that I think have any sort of trade value or any any currency. Um, and then there's the talk of Noble and whether mm. he stays or, or goes. And, you know, as much as it's not working, I, I look at it and I think, well, he's only been there for a year and a half, you know, a year and two-thirds. And well, this is like, thing. is it it's, crazy for him to go? And he's, then you inherit, bring... he's inherited this Of course, this of course he has. I mean, this is the thing. Yes, he hasn't been... Yes, they look worse than they did this time last year. But was anyone really going to come in and make a drastic impact immediately? And that's where I sort of struggle to say, well... Is it worth getting rid of him to start over again? And we could be sitting in the same position this time next year. Christian, you've done some digging on the Kangas. What have you sort of come up with the way that they're performing this season? Yeah, again, I mean, put it on the table. It's basically they're the the worst team in it um, since GWS's first season in 2013. Um, And and that that team, for, for me, is always like an asterisk team because they were so young. They were just kids. And I mean, even I looked at... GWS's first season versus Gold Coast first season, and you're right. GWS's first season was such a a terrible year of football for any for a club. They were just smashed in every game. Um, you know, I think they have an ad- average losing margin of about seventy points, so you know, even ten points higher than North Melbourne have this year. So again, the, you know, they're not the worst team ever. They're, again, looking at percentage wise, and if we talk about modern day scoring, 1969 is sort of the modern day era of football where out in the full came in and scoring really changed. So. Since 1969 onwards, only two teams have finished the season under 50% on the ladder, and that was GWS in 2013 and Fitzroy in 1996. And North, you know, at the moment, are 49.5 or 49.6. That, that's so in danger. I so, mean, it... And the interesting thing about the two teams that I just mentioned, it was it was Fitzroy in their final year mm. ever getting the lowest percentage and GWS in their first year ever sort of getting the lowest percentage. So North Melbourne are sort of, you know, starting to be comparable to those two sides, which, you know, you never want to be sort of in the same boat as those two. So just little things, though, even looking at, you know, the the main thing for them, I think, I look at contested possessions, uncontested possessions, disposals, all the things, you know, winning the ball and getting their hands on it. They're actually, I think, 16th for contested possession differential. I think, you know, Hawthorne, oh, sorry, equal 70. I think they're equal, equal with Hawthorne and better than West Coast. So they're not getting smashed continually <laughs> inside. They're uncontested possession. I mean, they're 18th, but it's nowhere near the worst of, you know, across the last 20 years. I think we've seen 10 or 12 teams perform worse. It's the territory game, though, that's really, really hurting North. So they're 22 and a half fewer inside 50s per game than their opposition. Again, the second worst differential champion data's ever recorded. Only, only you know, worse is the Giants in 2013 mm. again. But on top of that, so that's that's the ball living in the opposition's forward, forward 50, not even their forward half. But then their scoring rate, once they get it in there, is actually 11% worse than their opposition, which is all is the third worst we've seen in the 20 years champion data's been around. So again, not only are they conceding too many inside 50s and not getting their own, but when they concede an inside 50, they concede a score too easily. When they get it inside 50, they don't score at all. So to me, to see those two things and just to think, well, you and again, this is one of my things that I looked at last year is they're actually, I think, 12th or 13th for inside 50s last year but they had the highest rate of turning it over once it got in there so they had to work so hard to get it into the forward 50 and they just gave it up gave, so yeah. quickly again there's I mean there's a lot of things we've spoken about their game plan uh, a few weeks ago how they were using the corridor a bit too much and sort of playing a bit too open and hurting themselves but again I look at their forward line and just think their forward line just does does not look to have that ability to lock the ball in and sometimes that's pressure so that's what that's pace and actual applying to the ball carry but sometimes that's just structure just mm-hmm. get the ball 20 metres out from goal and set your 10 or 12 guys up in the midfield and it should make it hard for the opposition to get out and go into end. At the moment, North haven't got any way of locking the ball in there, uh, keeping the ball in there or scoring. So, so are you saying it is a, there is part of it, and I know I say David Noble has inter- inherited a bit of a mess before he even got in there. Mm. So does some of this still come down to system? I know they don't have a deep list, but is some of it system? We know they don't maybe have the cattle there you say up forward they've got issues with potency and that, effectiveness. that's what i always find difficult because how do you know like you could put the best system in place but if the play if the players aren't up to standard and can't execute how you, you're still going to look awful so how do you know what david noble's trying to do is right or wrong 
that's the issue though that they have shown potential in the last couple of seasons players like Cam Zerha Nick yeah. Larky I uh, can't remember how many goals he's kicked in the last two seasons you know Curtis Taylor is going to be a pretty talented player from, from what I can see but they're just not getting the best out of them and does that come down to their system that they're playing in yeah it's a it's a really good question um, the problem the problem is and this is a problem that other clubs have experienced and North too but th- you know a lot of the younger players that are somewhat talented and high draft picks why are they going to want to stay why are they going to want to stay there mm. they're going to be looking for opportunities elsewhere I don't th- and, and this is the problem because then the players that you get that are half decent don't want to be there what's all I mean is it is it a priority pick that they need or do they need some sort of cola assistance where it's just like all right we'll let you pay Jason Horn Francis 10% more than what the Crows or Port will offer him because you're in such a bad position so again you can get creative I think the AFL can get creative yeah. in the way they sort of compensate yeah. or how and again the story's just come out this morning that you know it is high on the AFL's priority list mm. um, to fix North Melbourne and they're starting, you know it sounds like the AFL are going to start to get a bit more hands on with them so it's interesting but again I, I think it you got to take the look away of just all right, yeah. Give them an early draft pick, and that'll fix them. Maybe there's other ways to fix yeah. fix. Oh, they, have, they have been seeking some avenues, so they've appointed Jeff Walsh, um, who's there to conduct a review into the club's footy department, footy operations. So I don't know if that necessarily spells the end of David Noble, but I mean, it probably tells us that patience is almost wearing thin with the the higher ups yeah, of the club. It has to be. Would you? Would we be? Do we think he's more likely to be the, like likely to be there this uh, at the start of next season? David Noble, yeah, coaching. Will he coach round one? That's the question. I don't I'm think so. I th- so. I'm I'm in the back him in camp. I always have been with coaches. I sort of believe in backing the system and persisting yeah. with what you've got. Um, a la what Richmond did with Damien yeah. Hardwick, uh, what Collingwood did with Buckley. Nathan Buckley, yeah. and what Melbourne have done with Simon Goodwood. Yeah. Fun- funnily enough, Jeff Walsh was a part of that Collingwood review. Um, when they ended up keeping Nathan Buckley and he was a part of the Carlton one last year when they got rid of David Teague. So he's seen both sides of it. So mm. it probably is a good po- appointment. Um, but yeah, a- again, I, I'm i in the camp of you need to back David Noble in because he hasn't been there for long enough. Yeah. I think he's inherited most of this mess as much as some of it might be self-inflicted. Yeah, But I think you need to back him to get out of it. Yeah, I, I've always kind of said three three-year rule, like... You've you got to give a coach three seasons, especially when the list is that poor. Um, so, you know, I think he's a, I think he's a little bit stiff if he was to lose his job in the in the back half of this year, you know, because he can sort of just throw his hands up in the air and say, well, what, what did you expect? Mm. I know they've taken a step backwards this year, but I mean, the other thing is their best player, Ben Cunnington, hasn't played a, a minute all year. So, I mean, that's gonna, he's a big loss for them for such a for such a um, a young team to lose your best player, your best inside contested ball winner. So, I don't know. I just I just think that firing David Noble and bringing someone else in, doesn't matter who it is, I don't know if that's going to be... I don't think that's going to be the solution that North's looking for. Mm. And, and it could get worse. As you said before, there might be players that are sick to death of losing and they yeah, might look for I'm opportunity. I'm sure there are. There might be a, a Jason Horn Francis who goes, I don't want to be at a club like this. Or maybe plays with currency I don't know if you if you think I mean you said there might be one or two Jack that you, that you would take if you're another club I mean who are those players at the Kangas yeah I think obviously Horn Francis is uh, LDU is uh, I really like Zerha I think Cam Zerha is a good a really solid player and could be Davies Union. I think I think yeah I think that I think they're just um, I think they're he's just got they're, they're relying on him for everything uh, Zerha in the forward line it's like they just boot it and like just do anything you can to get the ball. So would you would you expect those kind of players to request a trade at the end of the season? I don't know if I'd expect them to, but would you be surprised? How could you be shocked if they did? Mm. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know about all their contract situations, but you know, when their contracts are up, I I, I imagine they would be looking at at, at other op- at options elsewhere. You know, and and it's not a shot at North. It's it's. We've seen this with Gold Coast, um, you know, in in early years. It's like, and it's not just players wanting to go home. I think play, if Gold Coast was v- vying for flags every year, I think players would suck it up and stay. But players don't want to play. You only have a limited amount of time playing, you know. And, mm. and if players can make good money um, at at kind of any club, why wouldn't you want to be playing for in meaningful games and playing for for a spot in the finals? Will they win a game for the rest of the season, Christian? 
I can't see him winning one. Um, haven't had a close look at their draw, but again, it just would surprise me. I just don't think at the moment, at the way they're currently playing, they're just not matching it with any team. And talked about they've got to play West Coast round two. Well, I think West Coast are at least 40%, 50% better, yeah. if not more, than what they were back then. So, um, yeah, clearly the 18th. And 18th that West Coast minute. game, if I'm not mistaken, was the one where they were completely decimated at the Eagles. That yeah, was, that, that was, was that was the first, first week. Of, yeah. That was where we first saw top yeah. up players, and in they the really only scraped through in that one. So, yeah, I mean, look, they probably will because they'll probably go and they'll probably go out and win a game. Well, they got but... they got Richmond this week, Hawthorne in Tasmania. Whenever they're down there, it almost just yeah, automatically I mean, becomes there, a fifty-fifty be game. game. Uh, Essendon at Marvel, Sydney at Marvel, Adelaide at Adelaide Oval, and the Gold Coast Suns at Marvel. I think look, I think there'd be somewhat of a chance against Adelaide and Hawthorne, but yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't be banking on another win. You spoke about some of those North players that you think might have currency. There's a lot of out-of-contract players at the end of this season and mm. some contracted players that are um, keep coming up in end-of-season discussions already. So we thought we might touch on some of those names. Jake, I'm just going to reel a couple off for you. Dan McStay is one that keeps coming up. Uh, on Collingwood's agenda, key forward at the Lions. Luke Jackson, again, Rory Lobb, he's contracted but has requested a trade from Fremantle previously, and there's every chance that he might do that again. you got Isaac Rankin, Tim Taranto, Tex Walker, Griffin Logue, and we know the Jordan Goey situation. He becomes a free agent too. Mm. Uh, what do you think happens with these with these players? Who do you think leaves, is more likely to leave? I think McStay seems that every day that passes, it seems like he's more and more likely to be uh, on the way to the pies. Um, look, he's a he's a nice player. Is he going to take you? Is he going to take Collywood over the top? I don't know. I don't know if he's that that good. But we've seen players go to other clubs and and take the next step up again. Um, just trying to think of some of the names. Taylor Walker's one I don't think's leaving. I, I can't see him leaving Adelaide. Yeah. Unless just, it's for a premiership contender. Yeah, I mean, there's club like there are clubs that would love to have him. I'm sure the the footballer that he is, but I don't know. I I feel like he, I'd be surprised if he left. Um, looking at looking at those names though, and obviously Luke Jackson is is the top one. He's, he's the main he, one. He's gonna for he's gonna cost you a fair bit. And Jordan Degoe was sort of you know he's had the off field issues and things like that, which might lower his contract. So th- there's players that are worth more, but Taylor Walker is the one that intrigues me the most mm. in terms of. He could really, really make a difference if he did go to a oh, different he club. Absolutely could. He's still capable of holding down that number one key forward role. You'd, you'd prefer to use him in the number two or number three spot, but I mean, he's at the moment third for score assist of key forwards, number one for score involvements of key forwards. I think Jeremy Cameron's closely, or sorry, you know, uh, quickly closing in on him, mm. uh, but he's still number one there. His his form still actually, as for a thirty-two yeah. year old key forward, I think with Taylor Walker, he's still got another two seasons. And again, I could just see a, a real um, a contender or someone just you know just outside the top six or so sort of making a play for Taylor Walker just to sort of Bulldogs. tip him over the edge. I mean, yeah, you could throw a few names there. Bulldogs, you know. If McStay leaves, Brisbane loses McStay and, you know, and he, um, Walker could go fill up a role there. Again, yeah, I feel like, you know, he goes, he stays at Adelaide and he helps still Thorpe get a bit better and he plays, you know, two more years out and I don't see him making finals just where Adelaide are, whereas mm. he leaves and we could see Tex playing yeah. in, a, in a prelim. The thing is, it would have to happen... Soon. Soon, yeah. You, you, no one's going to want Tex in twenty-four months' time. He's, thir- he's turned thirty-two this year, so yeah. you can say that he's probably got two genuine full yeah. seasons of good quality football left. And let's be especially honest, the way or, he's playing. Two or three years ago, he was really struggling. He didn't look good, and I, I thought he was sort of done. I thought he was cooked. He's he came back and had a really good season, and then we obviously know what happened to him last year. But then the when he came back from his suspension, his first couple of games back, he was fantastic. And his, his game doesn't seem like it would age badly either because he's sort of a lead up he doesn't rely on high marks mm. or big bounce or pace or anything like that he's a beautiful kick Good so kick as long goal, as he can yeah. keep roosting him you know you can keep doing that to your 40 42 so he mm. kicks goals from 50 his leads are pretty basic he just mm. knows the time of his leads he doesn't rely on pace so again i, I, I just feel think like of yeah. all those names he's the least likely i don't know why I, th- I think that it just of all those names i reckon he's the least likely to leave his current club in terms of performance though you wouldn't be let down from him. So only once in his last 28 games of football has he not kicked a goal. Mm. And he's kicked multiple goals in 21 of his last 28 games. Yeah. His longevity is incredible, especially for a man of his age. 
Um, so I think he can make a difference. But anyone else that you think well, can make a difference? is another interesting one again, you know, been in the news two weeks ago, so we all know all about that. But in terms of the potential that he had shown for the last, you know, his first five or six years across his career, if you look at him this year, he's finally averaging a career high for AFL rating points. Again, comes with more midfield opportunities, but it's his second most disposals he's ever averaged, his most metres gained he's ever averaged, most clearances, most contested possessions. So the question marks that were there on his footballing ability have probably been answered um, a bit more this year. Mm. But again, it's that off-field stuff, so it's that, it's that yeah, excelling on you, the field and probably... With taking with taking him on, and no longer is he, is he looking at that million-dollar contract. And that that's we, what intrigues me is yeah. it's, he's going to be playing football in 2023, but just how much he's on and you know where he sort of slots mm. in. Is he going to be the 20th best mm. paid player at a club or is he going to be a top uh, paid player at a club? I'm not sure. But again, proven this year that he can be a yeah. 70, 80% midfielder and, yeah, and get, and get the exactly job done. Yeah, and exactly right. He needs to be playing in the midfield um, at least 60% of the time rather than sort of at, at various stages of Connie where he was sort of 75 to 80% as a forward. I think he needs to go. We, we've, we've spoken about all these types of mid-forward type players, you know, Petrarca and Dusty, how they can spend time in, you know, forward and then push into the midfield. He's great. He's great. At, I mean, look, let's be honest. He was, you're a Collingwood man, JB. He was awful against uh, Gold terrible. Coast. Yep. Um, but he's very valuable. I mean, you, you're not paying him on that performance. You're paying if you're no, if you're a club that's going to go after him, you're paying saying, him for his I, potential. He 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 just looked really out of sorts that game, but. Yeah. We know at his best, he can be such a, dam- a damaging center clearance player. It's like Jake Stringer. Jake Stringer's another one that can be hot and cold. But, gee, when he's on, when he's just up and about and his confidence is high, he's one of the best center clearance players. He'll just burst out of there. We know we can push forward. Those kind of players are so valuable. Yeah. There will be clubs that will that will be willing to take take the. There'll be the, some that are scared off, and there'll be some that yeah, probably will. Yeah, there will, but him. there'll be plenty that will be prepared to take the punt on him. But as Christian said, what, where will he sort of? What's he going to get? He'd want to have a big second. It's half very of the difficult year. to work out his worth right now. He's mm. probably the hardest player in the league to work out his worth and value right now. Which is why, which is why I'm saying he needs to have a pretty big final stretch of this season. Because mm. as you said, his performance against the Suns, yeah. and you can put that down to a number of reasons. Yeah. Maybe he should have come back through the VFL. He had a week off. Maybe not in the right headspace. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he'd want to improve on that performance as well. And the interesting part um, about Tagoe is he's a free agent. So if he does leave Collingwood would need to match it and force a trade I just don't know if they would if they're getting McStay as rumoured which would obviously cancel out any compensation they would get for Dugowie leaving so it's a situation that we need to keep a close eye on Christian yeah I was gonna yeah just thinking you know you're right in the Dugowie one again all depends on how much he gets paid from another club but yeah Collingwood could almost be you know losing a, mm. a mid first rounder by picking up McStay and losing Dugowie in the same year it's almost like well you'd almost want to separate the years of Losing him and picking it up, but you can't always do it that way. But another one, another name that sort of interests me, and again, not in the side of the moment, so probably forgotten about a little bit, Tim Taranto. Um, and again, just just whether where he fits in at the Giants. I'm He's a big fan of Tim. Yeah, and so am I, and that's what I'm saying. You know, we know the money they've given to Canelio and Cali and things like that, so what what do they have left over for Taranto? But yeah, across the last four years, one of only six players in the comp to average at least 25 disposals, four clearances and five tackles. Um, and the other names alongside him are Jack Steele, uh, Took Miller, Clayton Oliver, Brad Crouch, and Josh Kelly. So, Good company. Um, yeah, five genuine star midfielders. So, again, Taranto hasn't probably played for four or five weeks and probably out of sight, out of mind. But, again, he could be one that... He did play on the weekend, didn't he? Did he come back this weekend? I think he might have played, yeah. Yeah, and he had, yeah, had only, you know, he came back by the VFL a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But, yeah, just one of those ones that, again, could be mm. a, a club picks him up and he could be a... A top three midfielder for any club that he goes to next year. If, and if yeah, I mean they've got obviously Cornelio's playing more back in in the midfield now and playing well. Cal, as you said, Cali, um, and then you know Jacob Hopper to come back into the side, who's another player that Tom been, Green been forgotten about and Green. So yeah, you wonder if if there's if there's room for him there. I there was a there was a period where they were playing him sort of more in the as a half forward, mm. which is why he might thrive if a club does want to chase him and just says, hey, mate, you're our inside mid. Yeah. yeah, And that's that's exactly that. That's the role that he excelled in. I know he played, he got drafted. He's a bit of a high half forward when he got drafted and could hit the scoreboard. But what he's really excelled in for the Giants was being their number yeah. one in and under player. Yeah. Uh, some top eight teams took a bit of a stumble on the weekend. Jake, Sydney lost, Carlton lost. Oh, some well, other I contenders pulled out. I finally got one, right? I said Carlton. I was very worried about the Blues against the Saints. You called it last week. And sure enough, 
we we and I will say we we got done. We didn't play well. We turned turned too many balls over. Um, yeah, our defence was sort of shown up after playing mm. so well against Frio. But all of a sudden, it just you look at the ladder last week and you think you know the top eight set, and all of a sudden Sydney lose, Carlton lose, mm. um, and St Kilda close the gap again. The dogs lost as well. And the, dogs the interesting and thing, I know, and you know, I know a lot of people probably don't like listening to this, but. We bang on about expected scores. Both Sydney and Carlton should have won based on expected scores. Oh, so, again, it, it's one of those ones that not only does the loss hurt because of where they are on the ladder, but it was also like, well, you had your opportunities to win won. that game yeah. and you've lost as well. So it was a really yeah, double double whammy weekend for both the Blues we, and the We Swans. say that it makes the ladder a lot tighter, but then you look at teams who only had seven wins leading into the weekend. Port Adelaide, they stumbled at the final hurdle against Frio. So Robbie Gray and Todd Marshall missed some, some goals at... In any other week, they probably would have nailed. Well, that was another something I noticed. The two, mm. Robbie Gray, most people would say, is one of the most clutch players in the league. And Todd Marshall literally is the m- most accurate kick for goal this year. And they both miss relatively easy shots for them in the last three minutes. Mm. And the Suns are the other one. Is their season over? Gold Coast? Mm. Well, um, they had a golden opportunity to stay in the race. Now, they lost by... A couple of points to Port Adelaide last week. Five point loss to Collingwood at Metricon, yeah. a ground that's becoming a little fortress for them. Is this? Does it become a failed season at all? If they don't I don't think finals? it's. A, I don't think it's a failed season. I don't think anything can happen in the next seven games or seven or eight games, however long we've got to go, where I would say that was a failed season for Gold Coast. I think this has been Gold Coast's best ever year, and that includes twenty the twenty fourteen year where was it twenty fourteen where Gaz got injured late and they were on track for finals I think it's been their best year they've they've got a whole whole host of young players that are playing well they're consistent every week they're in games and look we we can say oh they could have beaten Port and they could have beaten Collingwood and they could have and they probably should have won both those games there was a Bulldogs game as well they lost by a couple of goals I think they were only a couple points down really late and the Dogs skipped two goals late if they won those those two games which which they only narrowly lost they could be 10 and 5 they're in the they're in the 8 like or, or they're or they're they're challenging for the eight. Like yeah, I feel like it's been a big tick for the Suns this year, and again, a lot of it's based on some of the commentary that we've had about them on the pod for the mm. last four or five years of where they're at. They're always been bottom three. They've always only played four weeks or five weeks of a season at a time, and never been able to keep it up. I probably do disagree a little bit. You said you know nothing can happen for the rest of the season for it to make it a bad season. I mean, losing every game, it, losing every game exactly <laughs> because because to me they now seem like they belong. They are now genuinely part of the competition. They're in the mix. They're they're. You know, matching it with the yeah. fifth to twelfth best teams in it, they're beating the teams they should be. They're not getting smashed by the top teams anymore. So again, I feel like they've they've finally got the place to. Mm. And the first step for them to take was just to get to that middle part of the ladder, which is where they are. Yeah. And then step two will be yeah next year to try to get into finals and try to build some momentum. But that's that's the eye test. We say it should have, would have, could have. If they win those three, what we say are winnable games, they're ten and five and they're well entrenched inside the eight. That's the should have, would have, could have. And is I think there I think you'd almost look this? at that and say they've overachieved. If they were ten and five, I could almost sit here and say I would guarantee I'd sit mm. here and say well they've overachieved this year. They're, they're peaking early and it's going to mm. make it exciting because they're probably three years away from really being at their peak. But what does their game plan tell us at all? Well, again, their game plan and cried out for it for the last two years, just wanted to see something. We had no idea. They went from a high stoppage to a low stoppage game plan. Um, They went from a contested ball team in 2019 slash 2020 to a really uncontested high kick team last year, which was almost like a West Coast blueprint. And yeah, just during Stewie's due time there, you just couldn't see what they were doing. Now they've found that right balance. They've sort of got the, you know, one of the sort of, um, they, they do kick the ball a bit more than other teams, but not as much as they were last year. But they're just so hard to play against. And it's the one thing I pump up about Collingwood this year as well. So for Gold Coast, they're the fourth hardest team to go from centre-half back to forward 50. The second hardest team to go from full-back to the forward 50 against. They're um, a hard... The eye tells, tells me Coast, they're a hard-working yeah. team. Yeah, fourth inside 50 differential. Third for time in forward-half differential. And that's the big one. Usually, if you finish top four in that stat, you're finals bound. So... Mm. They're third in that. Um, again, they're, they're probably the biggest one is 17th for scoring once inside 50, which again goes to probably some of those games that they've dropped. Yeah. Based on they've had the momentum, they've had all the play, they just haven't haven't got that finishing uh, touch up forward. I spoke about them last week. Chole and Casbolt have been great pickups. I think it's 4.2 goals between them and their one and two goal kickers at the club. But they're not the guys you would have been banking on at the start of the year. You would have hoped, you know, obviously Ben King's mm. injured. Rankin, Ainsworth, um, and maybe a couple others. So, 
Uh, yeah, I think the forward line is probably the only thing that probably needs to take the next step up can for them to get into finals next year. But in terms of game style and the way they play, they're, they're becoming very, very hard to play against and have a game style that backs up every week. Yeah, King was the King was the one I was sort of talking about. You consider what they've been able to do this year, and that's been without Ben King. We spoke about North without Ben Cunnington. Well, um, you could argue he's he's just about their most important player too. Yes, he's young, but for what he does structurally, and he was kicking a lot of goals certainly in the first half of last season. Um, if he was playing, if he if he was playing throughout the year, how much better would they have been, or could they have been? And the other part of that is. Can you play King, Casbolt, and Chol all in the same team? Yeah, I don't think you can play all three. So you would have to change. Yeah, again, that's why it becomes what ifs and yeah. who's ifs and all that. Because the guy, you know, as I said, Chol and Casbolt are both averaging two goals a game. Mm. If Ben King was fit, you wouldn't have seen all three of them playing yeah. every game. So. Uh, look, I think it's. I think overall, it's clear. It's ticks across the board. I, I probably went a little early. They, they probably can still can still get across if they if they tail off because they have because the last couple of weeks they have. Been a, they've still been in play for finals, so they've so the the intensity has been up. If they get to the point where they can't make it anymore, and the last three or four games they get belted and they look awful again, that'll be disappointing. But if they can play the season out well and continue sort of this level of form and consistency, I think that's got to excite everyone about Gold Coast, the the, the fans, the players, the club. I mean, it's really exciting, and I don't know if if I would be picking them for finals next year, but let's put it this way. I, they were just—they've been anchored to the to the bottom four every time I've done my ladder predictor for the last five six years. I think that's the one thing you can you can bank on now with Gold Coast. Yeah. Is we're sort of we're all starting to believe in the system, yeah, uh, and what Stewie Drew's doing, and he's probably saved his job in the process. Yeah, they're they're a, they're a legitimate team now, and especially at home, they play really well there, and you know they've they've beaten good teams this year. How far can the Pies go this year, Jake? So they were on. The, uh, the better end of that Gold Coast result, mm. um, stealing a win in the end. They did steal it. How far can they go? That's six wins on the trot now for the Pies. They're playing good footy. Uh, uh, the best winning st- win streak in the league at the moment? At the moment. Yeah. Well, as, as Christian got... said, yeah. similar style to Gold Coast, sort of high pressure, hard to score against, a real territory side. Uh, two plays that stood out. Uh, for the Pies on the weekend, Josh Dacos and Nick Dacos. I mean, mm. Nick was insane when you watched that game. 37 touches uh, for a first-year player. Uh, plays a really important role for Collingwood. I think he gets a lot of criticism for obviously getting those easy touches, but when you distribute it the way that he does and you have his sort of peripheral vision, yeah. that is a real up uh, ace up Collingwood's sleeve. Christian, well, I think one of the... And again, just to that point, one of the big... Uh, ticks for Nick Dacos's role is they actually tried Scott Pendlebury in that role first mm. and then Scott Pendlebury didn't work so Nick Dacos mm. has actually been that sort of distributor across half back so again he's, he's almost stolen Scott Pendlebury's role which just shows how well he is going. He is the closest I know this is a big call but not so much ta- like uh, who knows what he will achieve in his career Nick Dacos he's the closest to Scott Pendlebury I've ever seen in terms of his balance and his he, poise, his balance his, and poise yeah he, it's 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 uncanny how similar I, I there are that they they appear to me. He was great. They both both Dacos boys were great. Mm. Nick especially, and I think it's very easy to criticise someone who gets uh, who gets uncontested ball. Um, but if you're getting 37 touches in a game, that's a bloody good game. Well, no they combined for 56 touches, three goals, 12 score involvements, and over a thousand meters gained on the weekend, which got us thinking. Mm. What are the best brother combinations that we've seen in the AFL, both recent? And in the past as well, Christian, you might have done some digging for us here. Yeah, again, so we sort of, I mean, struggle with this one a little bit. We don't, we don't tag brothers in the system, so there's no easy way to pulling it out. But yeah, just looked across all the games and double up surnames Same and sort surnames. of, sort of, yeah, <laughs> bit of manual work to work out who the brothers were. But again, even looking at you know 56 disposals between them um, seems high. But we've already spoken about it on this pod probably two or three years ago. The, the Crouch brothers when they were playing at Adelaide, so. Uh, finished with 87 disposals between them in one of their games. And the the next most was 78, which they did twice as well. But that 87 game was just... I think we spoke about it on the pod. I think we did. I never want to say a record will will never be broken, but I find it very... I I would love to see or or to know if in history that'll ever be... If two brothers will ever come along and get 88 touches in a game between them. That's that's just an outrageous number. I didn't realise it was that high. 
Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like when this I saw the 56, when game. I saw the 56, I'm like, oh, I'm sure we've had a at least a 65 or a 70 where yeah. they've both had 30. And then I ran that number and went, oh, yeah, we did speak about that game, but it is. It's phenomenally high. Uh, you spoke about they kicked three goals between them. We all know, um, you know, well, that was bags of goals. Bags of goals go down. But best brother combo um, that we've got is Peter Bergwijn and Sean Bergwijn actually kicked 11 goals between them in round 13, 2002, and that was five and a six, so six for Peter and five for Sean. Yeah, pedigree. Um, <laughs> as I said, 12 score involvements for the Dacosses. Um, get well beaten by the Ablets. Gary and Nathan Ablett in round two, 2007, had 31 score involvements between them. Um, later that year, in round 17, 2007, the Corns brothers, um, Kane and Chad, had 30 score involvements between them. So, good game by the Dacosses, but it sort of uh, pales in, in, in comparison to some of those other big mm. big brother games. Uh, I think the Pies would be pretty happy to have uh, those two as a combination. I think we've got the King brothers at the moment, Mackay de Konings. Uh, the Crouch brothers are still around, not at the same team. The Guthrie's are still around. Uh, did I already say McCartan's? Just no, the McCartans have been great. Other combinations that yeah. we've got, the, that we've yeah, got to watch out for. Yeah, there's a few of them running around. Mm. Um, Mackay, although... It might, still haven't played. That might only be one Mackay, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole, guys. The segment where I'll say a statement and you guys will tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. First one's for you, Christian. The Bombers have Brisbane, Collingwood, Richmond in their run home. The Eagles have the Blues and the Saints, both at home. Frio and Cats at GMHBA. Essendon and West Coast will shape the eight. Uh, big chance for it. The The very, very pessimistic Carlton supporter in me has already tipped West Coast for this weekend. Um, so, again, I just feel like West Coast are starting to get their players back at the right time. That, that slow kick mark style that sort of doesn't hold up very well seems to seems to be able to penetrate against Carlton using that style. So I'm already worried about them as a Carlton supporter, but you're right. I, I think I think that's why it, this season has been so exciting is because it's not just when two top eight teams played against each other that has a big mm. effect on the ladder. It is. Mm. It's going to be... If West Coast... And again, I talk about Nat Nui, it's almost like it's almost like four players coming back for West Coast. Nat Nui coming back into that team is almost just like a brand new centre-bound setup Imagine that they have. Imagine played... 75% game. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I know, you're, I, know, I know you're beefing that new. But yeah, if they start to get some of these players back, yeah. I, I feel like they can pinch a couple oh, of games did. towards the end. And we've seen what Essendon are doing. Essendon yeah. are genuinely, last two or three weeks, are really starting to... Um, their midfield is really starting to get on top of the opposition's midfield. And I think for three weeks in a row, their, their midfield group has just controlled the game. Um, yeah. So again, yeah, they'll, 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 we, they could have a big we say. We spoke about it earlier, about... Uh, West when North beat West Coast at round two, I think it was. Sometimes you just get lucky with the timing, and you know, as Christian said, West Coast now look like then they're, they're not no longer a buy. They're no longer the easy beats that they were even a month ago. So it's it's tough, and same with the Bombers. Uh, JB, I got one for you. I nearly forgot. Um, I don't often do this. People should start looking at Collingwood's twenty twenty off season more favorably. The tumultuous off season. Um, Eventually they will. I believe they will eventually. So they lost Jaden Stevenson, Tom Phillips, uh, and obviously Adam Trelaw was the big one. And it it was probably a situation that I think we can all agree the Pies didn't handle that Trelaw axing, I guess, appropriately. I I think Mm -hmm. they could have done it a lot better and that's why it was tumultuous. I think when you look at the players that they brought in from that 2020 uh, draft and off-season though, they had five picks inside the top 30, which is pretty handy. Uh, they have, you know, Ollie Henry, Bo McCreary, and Jack Inovan, who was a rookie draft selection. They're all mainstays in Collingwood's best 22 now. So, and then you've got players like Reef McInnes, Caleb Poulter, and Finn McRae, who haven't really played much this year. So they're still developing in the uh, in the VFL. McInnes played a couple of games, but he's obviously injured and out for the season now. But yeah, I think I think eventually, yes. It's a bit hard to tell now, though. I think it's slightly paying dividends, but we won't really know until. Maybe a few more years, I think. As I said, five picks inside the top 30 and Jack Inovan in the rookie draft. Uh, I think it's pretty shrewd recruiting. Jake, you're the Brownlow man here. Yeah. Can Jeremy Cameron win it? Can he win it? Yes, he can. But Kane Turner can also win it. He's not going to win it. Will he win it? I don't 
think so. If he, he'd need to go out and have a best on ground performance uh, this week for me to start really believing. I've got him. I think I've got him fifth or sixth at the moment. Um, Not bad for a key forward. Oh, it's he's having a, a, an all time like. When you consider this era of football and what we expect from a key forward now, it's not to stand in the goal square and kick 10. It's, you know, the way he's working up the ground, his work rate is exceptional. His goal kicking, he can do it on the lead. He can do it at ground level. He's just such a dynamic player. I think he's... I think he's the hardest player to match up on in the league. I think he just can do so many things so well. Um, and he's so damaging with, with what he does. So... Yeah, I think I've given him five five clear best on ground games already this year, and then mm. there's probably two or three where he's a chance for for uh, probably a one vote in there as well. So, I think he's anywhere from sort of fifteen to fifteen to seventeen votes at the moment. Um, you know, a little bit still still a little bit behind sort of the Oliver and Neil uh, pair on around twenty four, but who knows? I mean, another another best on ground, and the other guys uh, start to slow down, and, and he could, but. It's just we know it's so difficult for a key forward to do. Um, I'd certainly be looking at him for for a top 10 finish, though, Jeremy Cameron. Mm. Uh, we are running out of time, so we do have to finish up. Get your footy tips in, Jake. I think you forgot to tip last week, did you? Well, I missed the first game, um, which was Brisbane Bulldogs and got the bloody Bulldogs as the away team, so they let me down. Uh, We've got Geelong I... and Melbourne on Thursday night this week as well. Oh, so does, does Cameron get the three votes? He's got May, Lever, well, and Petty to do with. he's going up against Oliver and, and Petrarca. He's fighting them for the for the three. Uh, that's going to be a class, a, a cracking game. I mean, it's 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 a shame we haven't had time to talk about it really because mm. there's there's um, there's been so many other bits and pieces floating. It around. could be a grand final preview. It really could. Um, it's we sort of say that a lot, but they look to be the two best teams in it at the moment. And down there in Geelong, oh, it's hard to go. As good as Melbourne have been, I know they had that they stumbled for a bit, but. They've found a bit of form. I don't know. I find it hard to go past Geelong. Mm. Maybe it's maybe I look at the just them last week and they played North and I think, oh my God, look how good they looked. They only played North. But um, I think it's early in the week. Well, it's a Thursday game, so we really don't have that long. Um, but I think Geelong's where I'm leaning just. Interesting call. Interesting call. That's all we got time for on today's episode though hey guys thanks for joining me thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN footy pod wherever you get your podcasts